Now we're coming to an end in our little series in Jeremiah, Gospel Gems from the book of the prophet Jeremiah. And most of the jewels are found in the middle parts of the book, Jeremiah 30 to 33, where we have the book of comforts. So we are just going to look at a few more chapters towards the end of Jeremiah. Last Sunday, we were looking at that terrible event of the king of Judah burning the scroll that Baruch, Jeremiah's secretary, had written the words of Jeremiah, the word of God on. And we're going to look at Baruch again this morning. He was Jeremiah's uh, servant as well as uh, note taker. And it's the shortest chapter in the whole of the book, if not the whole of the Bible. Jeremiah chapter 45, Jeremiah 45. There's only five verses, so even though we've had a reading, uh, we will read the whole of the chapter. Let us hear the word of God. The word that Jeremiah the prophet spoke to Baruch, the son of Neriah, when he had written these words in a book at the instruction of Jeremiah, in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, saying, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, to you, O Baruch, you said, Woe is me now, for the Lord has added grief to my sorrow. I fainted in my sighing, and I find no rest. Thus you shall say to him, Thus says the Lord, Behold, what I have built, I will break down, and what I have planted, I will pluck up. That is, the whole land. And do you seek great things for yourself? Do not seek them. For behold, I will bring adversity on all flesh, says the Lord. But I will give your life to you as a prize in all places wherever you go. Maybe we're more familiar with the phrase in the middle of verse 5, aren't we? I wonder if anybody is in this category this morning. Do you seek great things for yourself? Do not seek them. Now, we are going to come to the gospel jewel, but we're going to take some time to get there this morning. It's a hard message I've got, but the Word of God speaks into your situation and mine, just as it's spoken to Baruch's. And we are gathered together here, not just to hear the gospel, but to hear what God is saying to us as a church. And the events that this chapter is referring to, the word that Jeremiah the prophet spoke to Baruch when he had written these words in a book, that is what we looked at last time in chapter 36. So poor Baruch had uh, written the words of the prophets in the scroll. Jeremiah told him to go into the temple and to read it before the people. And some of the people, they responded in repentance and faith. But then when the king heard the words of the scroll, we know what happened. He took a knife out and as each page, if you can say that of a scroll, was read out, he cut it and burnt it in the fire. And 
poor Baruch is feeling completely disillusioned as a result of that. Now, we know that God said to Jeremiah to rewrite the scroll. Uh, It doesn't matter what people may do to God's word. Uh, Even you this morning may reject God's word, but that doesn't change the word of God. God's word remains. So, even though the king had burnt the scroll, it was rewritten. But in spite of that, Baruch was down. I wonder, is that somebody here this morning? Baruch is a man of flesh and blood. Just a piece of history here. In 1975, archaeologists discovered clay markers, ancient book markers made of clay, and one of them bore the seal of Baruch. And on another clay marker that was found later, they even found a thumbprint. So that could have been Baruch's fingerprints. So isn't that interesting? Baruch was a normal human being like you and me. And part of living in this real world is that we get dejected. And God's word to us this morning is do not seek great things for yourself. Do not. Now, how can that be a word of comfort? So let's look first at Baruch's woe. That, that's a good phrase, isn't it? Woe is me. Uh, some of us are more uh, uh, likely to say it than others. <laughs> woe is me. Look at the words he uses here. I've made a list of them. Sorrow. Woe is me now, for the Lord has added grief to my sorrow. There is fainting. That means weariness. There is sighing, groaning. I fainted in my sighing, and I find no rest. What a sad states to be in. So uh, here is the man who has been writing down the word of God and then reading it, and now that man is being addressed in the word. Isn't that interesting? Sometimes those of us who are involved in giving out the word, we need God to speak to us. And even in a gospel service like this, we can sometimes think more about the unbeliever that is here uh, instead of thinking about our own need. God's word is to speak to the preacher and to the believers as well as those who are not believers. Now, why was Baruch so down? Well, I've already mentioned one reason. Uh, He'd had the scroll that he'd written God's word on burnt. Now, I've, I've never had my sermons burnt, but it must have been a traumatic experience for him. All the work that would have taken months going up in flames. Doesn't it feel like that's 
when you're giving out God's word. Let, let, let's be honest here. We are not living in an easy time, are we? It's the day of small things. And it's discouraging, isn't it? And I'm not just thinking of those of us who are preachers. It's discouraging doing Sunday school, uh, doing open air, uh, thinking of Wynne and Angela going to West Wales and giving out the gospel. Sunday after Sunday, uh, meeting after meeting with seeming little response. You don't have to have people burning uh, the word of God. It's just the apathy. Now, that's enough to get anybody down. Now, now we're not going to stop at Baruch's woe, right? Otherwise, we'll get even more depressed. But I'm just trying to mention why he's feeling like this. And then another reason, what was the message that God gave to Baruch? Well, there was a gospel in it, but a lot of the message was one of God's judgments. Now, any preacher who enjoys preaching on God's judgment should never be in the pulpit. I and Andy are only preaching on God's judgment because the Bible declares it to be so. We would be unfaithful ambassadors to the king if we glossed over it. Francis Schaeffer, famous uh, anecdote, Francis Schaeffer had a heart for reaching uh, the uh, 60s generation, the hippie generation, and they found their way to Switzerland where he had a place and there was a conversation around the dinner table. Somebody asked Schaefer, and Schaefer was a very intelligent man, Mr. Schaefer, what will happen to people who've never heard of Jesus Christ? And this person was probably expecting some complicated philosophical response from Schaefer, but Schaefer didn't say a word. He just wept. He just wept. Now, having to tell people that they need to be saved from sin and judgment is... That's difficult, isn't it? And then what else? Well, Baruch was threatened. He and Jeremiah were threatened uh, with death. Uh, now, uh, some people may like the challenge of that. I'm not one of those. <laughs> and to be uh, constantly living under the threat of something, eventually it's just going to grind you down, isn't it? But even if you're not giving out God's word here this morning, the phrase woe is me. It's, it's not some uh, a phrase that a melancholic Celt is uh, saying. It's actually full of theological meaning. It's the curse of the covenants that is being uttered here. Woe is me. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, I did put down as the reading this morning, Genesis 3. And that's for a good reason. Because we are living under the curse. So, what Baruch is voicing here is what it's like to live in a world that is cursed. Now, what is that? As I was driving to church this morning, I was so full of gratefulness to the Lord for putting us in such a beautiful city. Isn't it 
a wonderful place, this part of the world. Uh, driving uh, from the bay, uh, seeing the water, and then the uh, new buildings being built up in the middle of our city, and then seeing the hills behind. And it's beautiful, it's beautiful. But this world is a fallen world. God didn't create it like that. He created an even more stunning world. It was perfect. What would traveling to church have been like if that was the case? I don't know. But it's fell. Our first parents in paradise, they disobeyed God. And the result of that was the curse coming upon them. And what Baruch is mentioning here is the curse. Uh, so... Let me read what God said. This, this is the kind of language we've got to think about this morning. Uh, this is what God said uh, to uh, our first parents. Because you have done this, you are cursed. You are cursed. Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles and bamboo it shall bring forth for you. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust thou shalt return. We're in a cursed world. It's a beautiful world still, and there's nothing wrong with the creation, but because of our rebellion against God, it's under the curse. That's why even or especially work today, has sweats and toil and thorns and thistles. That's, that's why there is stress and all these other things. But more seriously, that's why there is this ticking time bomb in us. We are sinners from the very day we are born. The clock is ticking. Man is appointed to die and after that the judgment and like I was trying to tell the children even if we want to deal with our sin we just can't do it we can't and our bodies are imperfect we get sick there are wars uh, there are disasters and one day we will have that illness that will probably be the end of us and we are food for worms. How real the Bible is. This is not a Disney-fied world. The people who tell us that we who are Christians have uh, really thrown our minds out, they are the ones who are not facing reality. This is what one person put it. I, I find this so helpful. Baruch's woe touch every trouble of the human heart when we come together to church like this I don't know every one of you but I know one thing many are worn out day by day week by week month by month year by year we're worn out in our jobs in our families in our society in our ministry maybe uh, if you're a preacher and you may have come here this morning with pain. I know a number of you, you're suffering from a chronic ailment. And that's not going to get any better, is it? Others here will be bowed down with sorrow. And others will know the death of loved ones. 
and others will look back to happy days. Those were the days. Well, they weren't happy, were they? We just think like that, the good old days. But it seems now as if we are living in bad times. I was going to choose a carol this morning, uh, but I decided not. Because this carol says, And he beneath life's crushing load. Is that you this morning? Life is getting you down, whose forms are bending low, with toil along the climbing way, with painful steps and slow. You can see, can't you, when a person is worn out, a weary body, a weary mind, a weary soul, you can see it in their steps. So that's the the first point. I'm not going to stop there, please. Don't worry, I'm not going to stop. Baruch's woe. The carol I've just quoted from says, with painful steps and slow, look up. Look up. That's what I want us to do. My second point, look up. Baruch, God is speaking to you. What is God saying to you, Baruch? Baruch, you're saying, woe is me. What is God saying? It doesn't sound easy, I know. Uh, God doesn't say to Baruch, uh, think positive thoughts. Every day in every way, it's going to get better and better. Baruch, you're seeking great things for yourself. That's why you're getting yourself into it is. Don't seek them. Don't seek them. Now, what is God saying to us? this morning do you know what your problem and mine is ultimately self self if you're a Christian if you're not a Christian your greatest problem is self now notice that God here isn't saying to Baruch pull yourself together Why are you depressed? That's the worst thing you can say to a person in Baruch's position. The God whom we have is the God who knows our frame. It's the Father who pities his children. The Saviour we are serving is the one who will not break the bruised reed or quench the smoking flax. So what God is saying here to Baruch is not, don't think about yourself, Jesus says we are to love ourselves. Love your enemies as you love yourself. We're to treat ourselves with dignity. But that's not the same as being self-centered and having selfish ambitions. And that's the problem. That's the problem. One of my favorite Charles Dickens novels is Martin Chuzzlewit's. And the main character, well, there are two Martin Chuzzlewits, the old and the young. But the old Martin Chuzzlewit, the old man, he says he's got all these family members showing interest in him because he's about to die and there's an inheritance. They never showed interest to him in life, (laughs) but now he's going to die. They're all around him. And this is what he says. Oh, self, 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 every man for himself and no man for me. He sees selfishness in other people, but even that phrase of his is showing the selfishness in his own heart as well. Every man for himself, but no man for me. Oh, what a horrible, horrible thing self-centeredness is. You know, I think Baruch is feeling sorry for himself here. I think Baruch 
is saying, as it were, to God, Lord, why has this come upon me? I don't deserve this. Uh, Baruch came from a very prominent family. His grandfather, Mahareya, had been governor, and his brother was an important official, and Baruch was a secretary. He thought he had better things going for him. Great expectations, to quote another Dickens novel. Great expectations. But instead of that, what's he doing? He's Jeremiah's sidekick. He's just taking notes for the prophet. Oh, Lord, why can't I be a prophet by now? I've suffered long enough for you. Can you see how subtle self-ambition is? So God says to Jeremiah, You shall go to Baruch, and you'll say to him, You seek great things for yourself, seek them not. Oh, I have to preach that to myself. How many preachers get disheartened? Not so much because of the response, but because in their hearts they have been seeking great things for themselves. How many preachers uh, are aiming to become a conference speaker, whatever that means? How many preachers want to have a big congregation? How many preachers want to have the adulation of the great and the good? And if you're involved in church life, why aren't I being thanked? Why aren't I being used in a more prominent way? Oh, it was wonderful to hear on Wednesday nights about the different gifts God has given to us and how those who have lesser gifts are just as important as those who are on the fronts. I sometimes think that my best preparation for ministry was being a doorkeeper in the house of God. That's what I did when I was in the Welsh Evangelical Church in Cardiff. I was a doorkeeper. My friend, do you seek great things for yourself? That's the problem. And what is God saying to Baruch? God is saying to him, let's read what he says. Thus says the Lord, verse 4, Behold, what I have built I will break down, and what I have planted I will pluck up. That is the whole land. Baruch, you think you've got problems. Look at the big picture, Baruch. Look at what I'm about to do to the fair city of Jerusalem. Cardiff is a beautiful city. Jerusalem, even more so, built on the hill of Zion. Baruch, I'm going to allow Nebuchadnezzar's army not just to besiege the city, but to come into the city and to take the people captive to Babylon. And the center of the city, the temple, is going to be razed to the ground. Baruch, the city of Jerusalem is going to be raped. You've got bigger things to worry about. Hasn't that come home to us these last few months? The city of Mariupol in the Ukraine. I, I was struck by uh, the talk that Constantine gave. He showed a picture of the Bible college, the Bible seminary in Ukraine, where he was studying, where Brother Vanya is lecturing. And it was bombed. It was bombed. Now, when you are in danger of being bombed, it does put your selfish ambitions into context, doesn't it? 
if we uh, were at risk of being bombed, uh, would we have some of the petty uh, concerns that we sometimes have? I don't think so. That's what God is saying to Baruch. And do you know what? The day of judgment for Jerusalem is just a faint picture of God's final day of judgments. There is going to be uh, judgment across the whole world one day, not just in the east of the Ukraine, not just the city of Jerusalem in Jeremiah's day, but one day every city in this world is going to be destroyed. Even the New Yorks and the Moscows and the Beijings are going to be ground to dust. And this whole earth is going to be no more. And Jesus Christ is going to come, not in obscurity as he did 2,000 years ago and as a saviour, but every eye shall see him. He will come on the clouds of heaven and he will be coming to judge. Are you worried about that? Are you worried about that? The big picture. There's a hymn which puts it well. There is an hour when I must part with all I hold most dear. Do you, do you sometimes get worried because you've bought a house and things are going wrong? Uh, well, there is an hour when you must leave that behind. And life with all its best hopes and worries will then as nothingness appear. There is an hour when I must look at one eternity and nameless woe, hell, or blissful life, my endless portion be. Isn't it tragic when the church of Jesus Christ is so preoccupied with itself? As uh, one person puts it, Amy Carmichael, building daisy chains when people are hurtling across the cliff to a lost eternity. May we repent of our pettiness, of our selfish ambitions. And may we do what God is saying here in the negative. Do not seek great things for yourself. That's the problem. What the fall has done, you know, Satan was right. He said to Eve, you shall be like God. And that's what sin does to us. We're all little gods. <laughs> we all want to have our own way. What we must do. Well, let me come to the gospel. I did promise that it would take time. What's the gospel? Well, it's not really here, is it? It's the negative you got here. Do not seek great things for yourself. What are we to do then? This is the paradox of the gospel. We think if we want to get on in life, we have to seek great things for ourselves. We've got to push ourselves forward. The Christian gospel is the opposite of that. And this is the paradox this is what Jesus is saying. Let me read the words of our reading again. If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, the opposite of seeking great things, and take up his cross. What's taking up our cross? Our cross here doesn't refer to our trials. It means we're saying, I'm dead to the world and to its ambitions and follow me. And then Jesus puts the paradox like this. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it but whoever loses his life for my sake he is the one who will save it do you know what you have to do you've got to die if you want to live you need to die that's what jesus is saying 
Die spiritually. Die to self. Dying in order to live. Can I, can I give you an example? There was a man once called Saul. You know him. He was a short man with a big nose and a huge intellect. And he was brought up in the school of Gamaliel. He was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. He was pure Hebrew. He uh, was brought up as a Pharisee. They were the strictest of the sects at that time. And he kept the law of God blamelessly. So he added uh, 300 or so extra rules that the Pharisees had. And he thought he was alive. He thought he was the bee's knees when it came to the things of God. He thought he was it. He thought that everything would revolve around him. And you know what? He says in a little piece of autobiography in Romans, he says, I was alive without the law once. And then something happened. What happened to him? We know the story. Saul of Tarsus thought that he was doing God's service by persecuting these people that had arisen, these people that called themselves Christians, followers of Jesus Christ, that blasphemer, he thought, and I'm going to persecute them. I'm going to serve God and bring great glory to his name by putting them to death. And he was about to go to Damascus to arrest some Christians, and then suddenly he died. What happened to him? He saw the risen Christ outside the gates of Damascus and he was blinded. But not only was he blinded, he died. He said, I was alive without the law once, but when the commandments came, sin revived and I died. What does that mean? It means the Holy Spirit convicted him. The Holy Spirit arrested him. He was on his way to Damascus to arrest Christians, but God arrested Saul of Tarsus before he got there. And he arrested him by the Spirit and he said to him, Saul, you are the man. All of your religiosity, it's not just no good, it's ugly, it's disgusting. I can't use the word that Paul used, but I can say excrements. All of it. He died. He had nothing, nothing to trust in. He died. And then he went, as a sinner, to that man that he had accused to be a blasphemer. And he realized, wonder of wonders, that Jesus of Nazareth is God. God, man. And that Jesus of Nazareth is the only perfect human being to have lived. And Jesus of Nazareth, instead of standing on his own rights, which he well could have done, he went to a cross and died a criminal's death. And he died for Saul of Tarsus. Do you know, Saul died with Christ. The old man was crucified with Christ on that cross. That, my friend, is the only way of being saved. We must die. Our problem is... Even sometimes when we think we are being humble, when we think we are seeking God, it's just self-centeredness at its worst. Like Saul of Tarsus, we've just got to lay in dust life's glory dead. We've got to say, as it were, nothing in my hands I bring. I've got nothing 
all that I've boasted in, all that I've trusted in, I leave in one dirty pile along with my sin. Nothing. Simply to that cross, that old rugged cross, I cling. Do you know what? That's the crux of salvation. And the crux of salvation is the polar opposite of what the world considers greatness. The Jews would never consider, Paul says, trusting in a Messiah that was put to death. And for the Greeks, the great philosophers, it was utter folly that the word, the logos, was put to death. But that's God's way, dying to live. It's in that place of shame you're going to find life. Have you been there? I was there when they crucified my Lord. Not physically, but my sins were put on him. Have you laid your sins on Jesus, the spotless lamb of God? But Jesus didn't just die for our sins, did he? He was raised to newness of life. And this is the wonderful, wonderful thing that Jesus Christ does. When we, as it were, die with him, when we come to him as sinners without any hope in the world, then from the ashes of that rises the phoenix of the life of Christ. That's Christianity. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God. It's not even my faith in Christ. It's the faithfulness of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He's a wonderful saviour, as I'm coming to a conclusion. This is what Bonhoeffer said. When a person has completely given up the idea of making something of himself, then throws himself entirely into the arms of God, then... You're not thinking of your own sufferings then. This is strange, isn't it? This is strange. Jesus is the man of sorrows, the man of sorrows acquainted with grief. And when we die with him and are made alive with him, he's with us. He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. And even if I have to go through disappointments, even though I may have to face threats, even if I have to uh, go through this veil of tears as everybody has to, I've got a soulmate now. I've got somebody with me who's been through all of this before me. And do you know what? He's in heaven now. And when I'm going through it, he comes alongside me. By his spirits, he comforts me, the paraclete, the comforter. And I'm just amazed. One man, he lost all of his family at sea, apart from his wife. Have I got that right? And he heard that she alone was saved. She reached Cardiff, I think, and she uh, telegraphed back home to the states to saying all is lost I'm the only one that's saved and this man said whatever my lot life is hard it might get harder but whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say it is well with my soul I'm all right are you all right this morning 
Are you all right? Because you've died. A person who's dead is not going to be bothered about other things. He's not going to be bothered about what other people think of him. That's what George Muller said. There was a day when I died to being George Muller, to what people thought of George Muller. The fear of man brings a snare. It's a trap. We've died to that. And now we are alive to God. And all we care about is what the Lord thinks. And that's freedom, isn't it? To have Jesus Christ as our only hope, to have Jesus Christ as our comfort, to have Jesus Christ as our goal. What a life. What a life. And it doesn't matter what we do as long as we do it for him. It doesn't matter. All we care about now is doing what he tells us, going where he tells us to go. Hudson Taylor said, a little thing is just a little thing. Being a doorkeeper, uh, doing the refreshments, a little thing is just a little thing. But faithfulness in a little thing is a great thing. Well, I must uh, come to an end I just want to read, I've mentioned the phrase dying to live, dying to live a lot of times this morning. And Willie Still called his autobiography Dying to Live. Willie Still was a minister, a bachelor, pastor, all the way up in Aberdeen. He's gone to a better place now. And this is what he said. Now, what he says is for those in Christian ministry, but it applies to every one of us. The death one dies before ministry can be of a long duration. It can be hours and days before we minister, before the resurrection experience of anointed preaching. And then there is another death afterwards, sometimes worse than the death before. From the moment that you stand there, dead in Christ, and dead to everything you are, and have ever shall be and have. Every breath you breathe after that, every thought you think, every word you say, every deed you do, must be done over the top of your own corpse. Then it can only be Jesus that comes over, and no one else. And I believe that every preacher must bear the mark of that death. Your life must be signed by the cross. Not just Christ's cross, but your cross in his cross. Your particular and unique cross that no one ever died. The cross that no one ever could die, but you and you alone. Dying to live. Who knows whether your woes, your Difficult experiences, our difficult experiences as a church recently. Whether that is causing us to die. And from the ashes, that life, that resurrection phoenix, as it were. Life of Christ rising. May God bless us. Do not seek great things for yourself. Seek Christ. And he will add all those other things. Shall we sing now, when peace, is it when peace like a river attendeth my way? We want that, don't we? We want the peace of God to overflow us. Well, it sometimes will happen when sorrows like sea billows roll. There's no other way sometimes. Uh, otherwise, the blessing of God will ruin us. But praise God we can say, I hope you can say, it is well 
with my soul.
for afflicting us, uh, because through that we can die. And we pray, Lord, that we will die to our own names. We will die to uh, maybe living for things. We will die to our own families and their reputation. We would even die to the reputation of the church that we love here. Father, forgive us for putting all of these things before Jesus Christ. And Lord, may we lay in dust all of these things so that from it only one thing can rise, the life of Christ. Have mercy upon us as a church for being so self-centered and may the name of Jesus Christ alone be exalted. May the name of Heath be nothing and may the name of Jesus be everything. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen.